I'm Jojo Siwa, and I approve this episode. This is why I should mute your mic. So you should mute my. I love her. I don't even care. Bring the back. Oh, no, I love her. Queen. Great. Love it. Love the bow. Love her. Rock that rainbow. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Show, your weekly reaction to all the best media of the week. This is Sunday, so of course we're checking out all your favorite TV shows week after week. I'm Nico, and you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And that makes me Kevo, and you can find me at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And yeah, we got some interesting titles for you today. And, you know, I love this Sunday's TV day. Uh, you know, not to be like, you know, oh, yeah, what's well, Sunday's TV day? But like Sunday's TV day now to me. Like, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, I've always really wanted to live that, you know, uh, like TV critic life, having grown up on Entertainment Weekly. You know what I mean? I just wanted to be Kristen on E! Wanda and um you oh, know Wanda. I remember Wanda ask Wanda I just wanted to be Michael Osiello popping up on VH1 specials going well listen I heard that what's going to happen in the next episode like I wanted that for me I guess I wanted to be Michael Asuela because I definitely just did a mean impression but it was the 90s Swello. yeah it was That's the 90s right. and it was a a thing where everybody did those candid talking head interviews on those VH1 shows. I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to be best week ever. And I love the nineties, but for TV shows and call it X's for show and do it with the two hottest guys. I know. And I guess that is uh, where we're at. No complaints. I'll tell you one thing I'm actually very excited about when we talk about uh, particularly comics, no matter how frustrated I get, I really root for the creators and the medium, and it's a tough medium to survive in. And I know how hard people are working. And I never, no matter how critical I get, I never want to say anything bad. I will talk shit about TV because that is a soulless hellscape where everyone is terrible. And I don't feel bad being really nasty. Uh, so, you know, that's not going to have to happen this week because uh, everything we're talking about is great. But when the time comes, I can't wait to uh, shit talk some TV shows. You guys know how that like my parents are a huge part of my stand up the way John Mulaney used his wife as comedy and then decided to divorce her. Uh, but I'm not going to do that to my parents. Right. So. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm talking to my parents a little bit about a project. This this very crew, this uh, team of. Uh, human muppets are undertaking and my mom and dad were like you know they were really listening because you know they they listen and you know when we talk about this stuff they're very super active listeners oh very active listeners and uh at one point i was like well and you guys you know you guys know how everybody in my industry is a monster right (sighs) and they were like yeah yeah it's even it's permeated this you know the 60s approach and 70s crowd dude we know and so like yeah uh 
people that want their faces places are uh, usually at least 2% unsavory. And I say that as uh, one of the unsavories. You mean not everyone has our weird former frat bro vibe? So. The good frat bros. The, you know, kind of frat bros. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that California sober. California frat Mato. bros. Yeah. Star uh, people frat bros. Yeah. Speaking now of- that she has won and we just kind of gloss over that and forgive and forget, uh, you know. No, it's- once you're a winner, we can make fun of you. Well, there's that too, but you know, I, I I feel like had she lost, that would have been really high up on the like. And of course, because she did that, she lost. Idiot. No love. Uh, you know, I I do think that I've had an amazing drag race, uh, you know, crash course in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're just marathoning seasons. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about kind of all of the TV we're talking about today is it's stuff that we've been cultured into. Uh, you know, I don't know that uh, I like was like, oh, Kevo, you have to love Muppets to be with me. But when we first got together, we were kind of like, obviously, you love Muppets. We're not having this conversation with each other. Uh, TK, I don't know that you mup quite as hard, but I know that you and your incredible partner, the wonderful and unbelievably, uh, handsome Jake, um, are big fans of the book series that Silo is based on. And you were explaining to me that it's almost like a collection of singles turned into a greatest hits album of books somehow. Oh, we'll get into it. So, uh, and then from there, we are also going to talk about, of course, Drag Race All-Star. The drag. It's what we do. We talk about the drag race. Uh, so, I'm very excited about it. And, of course, we... Uh, oh, shut up. We have uh, the amazing, the unbelievably handsome himself, Arturo, uh, chilling in the... Hey. As uh, I believe he would say, Yatusabe, you already know. Uh, it's your boy, Arturo uh you know just always love that bad bunny dream uh so we love you so much you're so handsome and cool so um okay let's start things off a little bit real quick with uh, a question i kind of need to know uh to get this whole thing started we just watched our first untux of the season and i know that I'm a little new to Drag Race. You know, 15 was my first live season. This is my first live All-Stars. But um, is All-Stars Untucked always such a footnote? Well, so this was a weird one because this one really ran the gamut. Uh, You know, through the three episodes, you had moments that really just felt like this could not possibly matter less. And this is not interesting. This just feels like time being filled, which is particularly odd because this is not in a block. Like, uh, Untucked on main Drag Race is to fill up the two-hour slot that Drag Race has on, you know, Logo or VH1 or MTV, you know. Or YouTube or Paramount+. Plus. Where so, so part of it is, we, what heart. are we doing here? We clearly don't know. But At every hamburger marries. This season, especially, this is this drops uh, on on Paramount Plus, and that's that. So it doesn't super 
need to do what it does other times and yet it feels like some of the production is really based on just filling time and yet uh jumping all the way to episode three of untucked companion episode to the third episode of the show when heidi starts talking about the fact that she's leaving uh that's a bonkers moment that's like a hugely important uh the last time a contestant talked about leaving all stars was uh in all stars 2 uh it was absolute heartbreak it was a huge part of the episode and she's just like i've won so hard so good so big so many times oh no i was talking about uh a door and you're right oh. though and ben is another huge one i, I didn't even think about that because that's like exiting in triumph that's I'm like going home that is that is like I I already know I'll win, so I'm gonna skip the winning, which is insane. But Adore leaving was this really like she's clearly not happy. That's a huge thing. Is you really kind of mean. It was really uncomfortable. What's insane is I couldn't sleep at three o'clock last night, and I got on TikTok, and she was doing a live. Um, oh, she's the best. She's a queen. She's a goddess. She is. Her so wonderful and crazy and beautiful and still has just such an amazing voice oh my god um, the finest tonal qualities i've ever heard but yeah so you've got on the one hand you've got alexis michelle sobbing <laughs> uh, because it's hard to be there uh uh, just an incredibly uncomfortable, stupid moment that I really felt was a waste of our time. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Heidi announcing that she's going to leave, which feels like such an important thing. I can't believe it's in Untucked. And it just seems like this is a really uh, wildly produced grab bag of ideas for this particular Untucked season. And to answer your question, uh, no, it's not really like this a lot of the time. So I want to talk for a minute about kind of what's in a name. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, in talking about how this is our first live All-Stars, very excited. Hey, thanks, World of Wonder team. If you guys need another after show. <laughs> hey. We're uh, ready. You know, how many late night shows are on after the news every night? You know, it's like if you can have the late, 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 late show. Well, and, you know, I love a watch along show. The the, uh, the Walking Dead, Lost, like some of our great TV shows as a nation had watch alongs that were stupid in the best possible way. Well, and so, you know, I want to just kind of like get a little bit of a sense of like our 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 rundown, right? Mm -hmm. So, in trying to find the untucked for this, I found out that untucked. All-Stars 5 goes with All-Stars 8. Sure, you know what? Comics, it's fine. But then, like, finding out that Silo isn't the same name as the books, like, you know, at some point, there's a book called The Hunger Games. There's a book called Twilight, right? There is a yes. book called Twilight. Okay. Yeah. I, I really went out on a limb there. And uh, you nailed it. Keep soaring. Oh, there's a book called Harry Potter Movie 8, The Deathly Hollows, Just That Battle Part, Extended Really Long, Part 2, right? So I'm confident that, you know, uh, usually these things match up. I understand why they don't. But Kevo, can I be really honest with you, babe? I'm going to I'm gonna make you lose a little bit of faith in me here. 
But uh, it wasn't until you were like, oh, yeah, and it's about the electric mayhem that it even occurred to me that Muppets Mayhem would be about the electric mayhem. I, 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 no, felt, I get that. Thank you. No, I, I like, get that. I just feel like there's a little something interesting in the nomenclature of everything we're talking about today. Uh, and, and I think that's even specifically on purpose to uh, widen the scope. I think it's the same thing uh, with changing Silo from Wool. Uh, I think Wool is perhaps a little... Uh, it's first thing I think. The first thing I think of, though, is the line from Anchorman. <laughs> Lanolin? Like the sheep's wool? Um, so I... I get it, Baba Black Sheep. Have you any? Uh, but I'm like Silo, to pull the wool over somebody's Silo. eyes. Like it's a great title, and it's a yeah. great title for a book and for the first book of a series. But I can see why you would change that from Muppets Mayhem. It broadens the scope of, you know, it just sounds like Kooky Muppets. And if you don't remember, the Electric Mayhem is even the band. You're just thinking it's Mayhemic Muppets. So yeah. And can I tell you guys the craziest thing is that when I hear wool, I so I was a really big fan of everything musicals, which is why uh, me and this crazy team are trying to get some music out there. Like this remix I did of Goddess by Sasha Colby, who is the goddess. Um, I have this, mem like, you know, as a kid, if there were songs in it, I begged my parents to buy me the VHS, like begged. And we had a path mark which was a grocery store chain. And that Pathmark sold VHSs kind of like sometimes like $9.99 the day they came out. But then like the next week they went up to full price somehow. I don't understand. But uh, I got a number of, you know, and my parents were indulgent and they really wanted me to be, you know, so in, in you know, ensconced in music, right? And there was a Muppet Fairy Tale Theater VHS and it had some unbelievable songs for a vhs muppet product really honestly they were really well produced really uh well-made pieces of music and uh one of the things that stands out for me is there was a boy who cried wolf song and uh the melody sticks in my head forever and the words where you pulled the wool right over our eyes and it really like it was so clear that they were using animal illusion like Anyway, so it is really funny. Wool and Muppets come together in my head um, for what sounds like a drag race challenge. So I'm totally here for today's episode. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's a really interesting place for TV, especially because uh, who knows how much TV there's going to be for a hot second. Uh, and if it's anything like the previous writer strike, which by the way, real quick, writers, we're writers too. We're here with you. We stand by you. We're on your side. You know, any writers who want to come on the show and just talk about, you know, anything, we're here for you, right? Um, but in general, uh, with the first writer strike, it led to like some delays. Like they said to themselves, oh, this show is going to, uh, you know, we're going to delay these eight episodes, even though they're done. We're going to spread them out so that we have any programming in six weeks, seven weeks. So stuff that's done may see some delays. And that'll be that'll be interesting. But I have a feeling things like Drag Race is not going to be affected. Well, and, you know, the, the, that season was produced 
you know, filmed, produced, everything basically written um, by the time the writer strike happened. So everything's in a weird kind of limbo right now. Um, we are, it sort of feels like we are quickly consuming what is very clearly a finite resource and we can kind of see the water draining and what's going to happen after uh the last writer strike was bad and it's just never something we should be going through but i really have been sort of taking stock of the crazy beautiful things that came out of it uh things like um party down Mm. Uh, was a product of the writer's strike but at the same time which you know party down just got some new life which is very interesting at the same time um dr horrible was also part of the writer's strike and i think we all love dr horrible at the time and now look at it a little bit differently you're always but, just trying to find where the feet are hidden in the scene uh let's not let tarantino do anything during the writer's strike um so you know i do i always appreciate the innovation and interest in continuing the art that comes from moments like these uh and i'm always excited to sort of support that while also not supporting it too much in that way that's like keep striking you know we don't care um but you know projects come out of this and i i always find that interesting i always find stuff that i can root for and I, I don't want to panic too early is part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there already is so much in the can. Uh, there are so many things that are not going to be affected by this strike right away yeah. that I don't even want to start framing it, which, you know, so many outlets already are trying to turn this and put this on the writers, which is ludicrous because it's, it, especially when it's, fellow writers in a tangential industry like come on are you serious you know better um but you know uh, there is so much television that is already banked there is so much television that is already clearly in the pipeline coming and there's so much already just to watch in general people are constantly complaining about there's too much tv there's too many marvel movies okay well now you have time to catch up on crap so great um Go check out I, things like Better Off Ted that you probably missed the first time around. Yes, so many things out there. That's and the other thing. The previous writer strike, we didn't have the streaming catalogs yes. that we have now. So that's part of where I'm wondering what is going to be the fallout from this. Because the last yes. huge one, the fallout, was the rise of reality, tele uh, reality television in such a huge boom with the Kardashians and The Apprentice. I don't know that... Other than people being a little lazy at times and not wanting to go search things out for themselves, that there is anything that needs to fill a gap in this so much as, um, you know, I think we're going to see uh, streamers become more popular because that'll be new content. Yep. But in terms of new creative and artistic content, there's so much already. So I'm really curious to see how long it's going to go on for and what the fallout even necessarily will be because it's not like it was. 
Well, and I do think that something, a comment that had been made, has been made for a while now, is there's never enough time. There's not enough hours in the day to catch up on everything. I'll be honest. I never watched Squid Game. I got busy. I had stuff going on at the time. I really was interested in it. It's not like I was like, not not a priority. It was like, I have a job and I'm not going to be able to get to Squid Game. And then by the time I had streaming TV time, other stuff was happening. I kind of wanted to be watching what was in the zeitgeist in that moment. Um, and I, there's so many things like that. A a prolonged absence of new content would result in me going back and watching a lot of old stuff. I think it would for a lot of other people. And I think one of the shifts that we would see in the way that we saw the shift towards reality TV is a, a shift to sort of examining how we offer so much stuff expect people to watch all of it with the enthusiasm that they had for the previous type of programming and then often cancel shows if they're not wildly the language around sandman which was so hugely popular and yet you know neil game was like i don't know literally everybody on the planet didn't watch it so they're telling me that it wasn't a success uh, whoops um and I just feel like a big shift that I could see happening is changing up that nonsense conversation and those nonsense expectations while giving us all a chance to catch up. Uh, there's just so much. And speaking of there's just so much, we only watched the first half of Muppets. Uh, so I think it's time to talk about the first half of Muppets. Let's talk about it. Now, okay, funny thing. You know, we're on the way to the forum. It's Whoopi. It's Nathan. <sighs> funny things are happening. Um, and I think it's kind that we just let you talk sometimes. Oh, um, so. <laughs> Doesn't I, stop I, him from talking, notice. Doesn't. So I want to start with uh, the thing about like dropping a show, all 10 episodes at once, is I know that we're not, you know, having watched it now, I don't feel very confident about a second season of Muppets Mayhem, and I don't want to watch all that there is in two and a half hours when there's already such a backlog, and I could stretch this out over a couple of days. I I agree. Uh, just really quickly to address that thing. I wonder, this has made me wonder if maybe we will get another season of something. Yes. That will, like, it will be a lineage of one season Muppet stories. I love that. That, you know, this technically the next show will not be season two of Muppets Mayhem, but it will be like... the second season of this family of content. I would love the fuzzulous Mr. Fozzie and it's about yeah. Fozzie going on tour and pair him with someone like Gonzo and Rizzo or something where it's not just him by himself. But yeah, give us a season of one thing, a season of another thing. My yeah. pitch would be for like um, a Bon Appetit kitchen-esque uh, like streaming food show about Swedish chef. 
and just what goes into making like digital streaming food production television which is some of the dumbest but also most amazing <laughs> programming you can watch on streaming right now you know i would even love to you know so okay to rewind a little bit you yeah know, take it back take it back uh kevo had an incredible point about this show that actually really is necessary to set up all of my subsequent points all right and i as we were mm. watching this i just kept saying this is for no one yeah maori looking so handsome is maybe for me good lord Oh, so handsome! What a you know. also, like, I, to to the point, sort of non-threateningly handsome uh, and very like, gorgeously thick. Yeah, and I also want to praise for someone who, for most of his career, has mostly played like type A characters, from the smart guy to the best friend on Baby Daddy, where he's very the Ross. Mm. Um, this is a very chill character for him, and I'm really Lovable glad that he gets type. to play something like that. Very funny, and I feel like that's a type. He hasn't gotten to show off much in his career. So yeah. as a child actor, long time coming. Good for you. I love that we had a, I hadn't even spoken about that with you, TK. I just, I think we can all just agree. Like he brings a lightness to the show with his smile, with his presence. He's got a warmth yeah. and energy that even if you don't find him particularly handsome, which is anybody's right, the warmth he radiates is a kindness, uh, a gentle I don't know. I just think he puts in an incredible performance. Yep. Uh, big fan. But, you know, I was saying to Kevo that my big problem is it doesn't feel like it's really written for adults. TK, I believe you're currently on three of ten. We're on five of ten. Five of ten is an extended hallucinogen experience from eating old marshmallows. <clears throat> and while it's done really well, then it's really not for kids. And because it's not done in like a kid way and it's not done like terrifying it's not like artemis coming out of the toilet bowl for frank but it's it's a moment and so you know kevo uh i had you know you had a really great point in response oh i thought you were gonna say it yourself because you spent the whole time building um <laughs> No, it's just, it's something that I'm realizing about a lot of entertainment lately. And it's a perspective that's really hard for us to come from because it's not something that we are going to experience. But I really feel like um, a lot of Muppet content is specifically made for parents to watch with kids. Yeah. It is not for adults. It is not for kids. Either of those could watch could enjoy but because of the way that it's structured you know a lot of children's entertainment when they put in things that are for adults uh it's stuff that can go under the radar for kids it's either jokes that they're not going to notice or it's like deep mythology and continuity uh things like that that you know they're just paying attention to the pretty colors and the funny noises so that's fine but a lot of the stuff that is in this really is structured in such a way that you're you're meant to be able to watch it like as a family and everyone is able to supposed to get the same sort of experience. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily something that is even a market or an experience anymore. Is it like, is that something because now you can just watch House of the Dragon with your kid. That's just something that people do do. Uh, That's so another do really need this question. TGIF? 
you know, yeah. it's I my biggest disappointment with the Mario movie was that it wasn't more that style of uh watchable for everyone it really was just a kids movie that if you were an adult you could find it tolerable it was just the music was for adults that's it yeah you just wouldn't really get anything out of it like it doesn't really speak to your you know our nearing 40 experience of playing these nothing new nothing yeah and this show definitely i mean like tripping off of marshmallows is like the tripping part an adult will get and the general idea that it's not drugs and it's just like people having a wild experience i think is acceptable enough for your you know six and over children that it, I mean, ultimately, what it boils down to is it's a broadcast level sitcom. I I was thinking a lot about how the humor is like just this side of uh, Thirty Rock esque, uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit absurdist, uh, a little bit highbrow, but accessible to everybody. And because it's on broadcast. Ultimately, it's more or less acceptable for all ages. You as a parent may choose not to let your kids watch adult-themed material, but nothing is being said that you would be genuinely like, my child was just exposed to pornography. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that this is illustrated is even a lot of the celebrity cameos where you have... Billy Corrigan and Dead Mouse, but you also have Sophia Carson from Descendants, and that's not for the adults. Um, At this point, actually. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, so, it's not for the boomers, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> I think one of the big things that the show really needs to kind of figure out the best modus of is how to move the Muppets into an adult frame. I think the problem is, and I'm not trying to be too meta about it, but I don't want to see the Muppets be dopey. Mm. Like these Muppets, I, I had this thing where as much as I, you know, devoutly loved it at the time, as 30 Rock went on to use 30 Rock again, something that I could not avoid seeing was how much Liz Lemon was actually really terrible at her job. And one of the things in the beginning of the series was Liz Lemon was excellent at her job and everyone around her was terrible. The job was stymieing her, but if not for all of the nonsense, she would be wildly, because she's so on top of her game and is sacrificing her personal life as a result. So I wound up calling it lemonism. Yeah. Where uh, you're supposed to be really progressive and want, you know, something really great, like, you know, something awesome. Um, But then the show kind of just did it kind of weird. And so it couldn't quite work for me. So it was lemonism, you know? Um, And... I'm not interested in seeing the Muppets portray characters of themselves the way Tina Fey, whose real name is Elizabeth, 
portrayed a form of herself on 30 Rock as Liz Lemon. Or how that was basically Tracy, I get the last name wrong every time. And he's Jordan on the show because it's TGS with Tracy Jordan. Um, so then the real actor is Tracy Morgan, and yeah, there are obvious par- parallels there. Early Jenna, kind of maybe the first episode or so, parallels Rachel Dratch, the woman she was based on. At some and point, who was originally of, supposed to play her. But as uh, Chris Podcasts, my co-host for my very first show, once said it is not Rachel Dratch's fault that NBC thought she looks like an alien. And they replaced her with the absolutely a nine and a half Jane Krakowski. Um, oh, it's eight and a half. Nah, bitch, she's a nine and a half. She's that fucking great. Um, she is Jane Krakowski, and I love her. Um, you know, how does this relate back to Muppets? Getting there. I loved seeing those actors play really weird versions of themselves, but I don't enjoy watching Dr. Teeth play a bad at his job band leader. I don't enjoy watching Janice not have a song in her heart. I don't enjoy things that don't support how these characters are fun. It's not that I don't think the Muppets have depth because I think they do. But honestly, something I think the Muppets are a little better suited to is um, probably having them host a food competition. Having Swedish chef and now teppanyaki chef Animal host uh, a cooking or, you know, judge a cooking show hosted by Kermit and Piggy where there's sketches in between. But the main thing of the hour long show is the cooking show with four minutes and five minutes of Muppets here and there. And the Muppets always on screen judging. I think that's the way to go because the main complaint I had about this was the formula doesn't work for me as much as I want it to because I like everything about it. But when the pieces come together, there's just something a little inauthentic about watching the Muppets be bad at their jobs. And it's funny because they're bad at their jobs because otherwise there's no conflict. Right. Uh, and... and I mean, if they if they were going to go for one group to be bad at their jobs, at least it's this group. It's not like Kermit is incompetent. Yeah, yeah it's the electric man. The other thing is like it, it's doing an interesting job commenting on uh the music world and uh, rock stardom and bandom and what it takes to deal with all that stuff. Um, and it's parts of it do work for me and parts of it. I can see like the setup for the show should on paper should work, but I can see where you're coming from. insofar as they have gone too far into the zone of, if they're not problematic, then how are they? Str- how is their conflict in the show? And it's sort of that they need the uh, human lead to be the point of view character and the action character. Mm. So the Muppets have to be difficult. Is maybe where this misstep is really sort of uh, snowballing because if it were the electric mayhem really wanted to make this album and just 
kept encountering stumbling blocks that they had to get over, that might really work. And even some of their character traits that you might consider flaws or might consider difficult could work in this particular context, but that they are constantly getting in their own way and getting in Nora's way. And that's why stuff isn't getting done with the combination of like, but then they can just pick up the instruments and play a really enjoyable cover of any song you can think of. It's not quite coming together. I, I, I think you are exactly correct on that. Well, but I actually like it presented this way because, for one thing, we've already done Muppet stories multiple times of the Muppets are working so hard to make it work yeah. and no one will give them a chance. Yeah. And frankly, to be very blunt about it, the Muppets are not in a position to tell a story like that because look how much they've been failing for the last 20 years. They can't make a hit. So Sorry, drawing attention again. again to the Muppets can't they, they did that story in the Muppets movie from 2011, which who barely even remembers that movie. So if they were trying to do a story like that, all that really does is draw attention to the Muppets kind of are an upward failing brand and how they should be begging to be given this chance to make an album. Who wants to take this chance on the Muppets? Whereas instead they're treating them like these sought after celebrities. And uh, what I like about that is, for one thing, it draws attention to the ways that the Muppets do get away with everything. Dead Mouse took off his freaking helmet because it's the Muppets who wouldn't turn up because the Muppets asked them to. And it's the only thing they have going for them. And so I think it's actually kind of funny that they are being chased uh, for once instead of the other way around. And I think... It's the only saving grace of how long this format is taking, because I think we are going to see them stumble and we are going to see them need to grovel and work harder at some points. Um, and if it was just them being chased, I would absolutely need this to be a hell of a lot shorter as it is. This probably should have only been like six episodes. I think uh, more regular content of like six episodes at a time of Muppets for like the yeah. different stories like we've been talking about yeah. would probably be pretty cool. Uh, ten episodes of just the Electric Mayhem. I'm not even bored of it yet or anything. But the only thing that's really keeping me on is that it is the Muppets in general. The Electric Mayhem were never my part favorite part of the Muppets. They're great, uh, but they're, you know, they're the Cheech and Chong of the, the most ends. And even then, when I suggested, like, Fozzie goes on tour, I even, I was even like, and he damn well better have someone with him, because I don't want a whole season of 10 episodes of just Fozzie trying to make comedy work. Yeah. I will be the first person to say, don't give the Muppets any more chances. But I will say, I, I'm very impressed that they didn't go the route of everybody particularly kermit and miss piggy have to yeah. be involved in this they have to be their managers uh you know that's what happened with the last one on abc where it was the sketch show which i actually loved that was uh, great that the muppets on abc was terrific i really Fantastic. was disappointed that that was i mean that was really 30 rock like uncle uh, deadly was perfect <laughs> um and I'm impressed with their restraint in terms of saying, we're going to pick a crew 
it's not the most popular crew. We're going to focus on their zone specifically and really take a chance and take some time on a not B list in terms of quality, B list in terms of popularity cast. Yeah. Yeah. Cast of Muppets. I think that instinct was the right way to go if you want to start breathing new life into this brand. Because the other thing is uh, Gen Z and Younger don't have the relationship to Muppets that our our generation does. Because they didn't get the Muppet stuff that we got. And our relationship with Muppets is even weird in the first place because we caught like the resurgence wave of Muppets where it was right. just this huge explosion of muppet content all going on in like i think 1992 all at once because they started airing muppet show on nickelodeon they started airing uh, a whole bunch of the classic muppet tv specials and it was all right around the time that the muppet christmas carol film came out and so there was like this huge push of the Muppets right around uh, when we were in early elementary school. And that's why they tried to make Muppets Tonight happen, but we were already in puberty. So our Muppet boom was already over and they didn't really understand the right balance for- I was gonna say back then they really wanted Muppets to be kids and it couldn't have really any hint of adult humor. And that was a really rough sell even for TGIF. Yeah, which, you know, again, I think the one thing that this is doing well is bringing the adult humor into it. Um, but Nico's point stands, too, that it it's so common denominator that it feels like it's not for anybody. Um, I don't quite know how you fix that. But I mean, I what I what I really do appreciate is the effort to not just be sanitized for like a, a standards and practices version of what children ought to be watching. And I like the humans. I want to give it up to Nora and Moog. Uh, a Moog being a really good synthesizer, and then it's the guy's name, super cute. Um, I have no real affection for JJ. He's pretty, but I thought he was two or three other actors. Oops. Um, yeah, that's so funny. I think that the winningness of this show lies in the idea that everybody involved wants to be better and do better. I think one of the charms of stoner comedies is the lack of stakes. But I think when you're working with the Muppets, the stakes are kind of a quality of innocence. And I feel that perhaps using the electric mayhem with nothing balancing it in the grander course of things is resulting in something I'm finding a little, I don't want to say a little clunk because like I give this a strong 80, 85 because it's Muppets but if this yeah. was just a product someone was showing me, I'd probably give it a 70, maybe a 65. So, you know, truth is in between the first and the 40th drink somewhere. Right. So we can sort of assume that it's like a, a 75, 80. I mean, it's also just a matter of like uh, everything is so uh, tied to its context. 
if this is the first outing of a new series and new yes. lineage of Muppet stuff, I think that higher end of the grade is much more where I'm at because there's some strategic stuff involved that I can sort of live with to get us there. If this is just another attempt to make the Muppets happen that goes nowhere, because again, we have that these expectations that unless the entirety of Disney Plus's audience plus new subscribers coming in is the viewership then it has failed if that ends up being what this is the grade is going to fall lower because there's nothing else to hang this on there's nothing else to attach it to and my greatest concern right now is that too much of whether or not there is more of this is going to be weighted on how this one does right when really what we need is there needs to be be a second one already coming and come soon. Yep. And you need to like be regularly regularly producing some Muppet content and running it and give it a chance to fail on having an actual run. Because it's exactly what you're saying. If this is like I'm looking at this as what is this going to be? Is this another the Muppets office from 2016 to 2017? where we're not going to get another show for seven years or are you actually going to try and do something after this immediately after because i think that is the hardest part for people is that there isn't regular coming muppets content that people know where it's coming from it's just yeah they still exist and they'll turn up somewhere sometime they'll Somebody's probably make the another rights, movie so somebody will do something to make money with the rights that they have but like that's not what you need to be doing like you need to be making regular stuff there needs to be a muppets button on disney plus for you to be able to click on regular muppets content if you it's... want it to be a thing then you need to like be running it not just eh, whatever we'll slap some muppets on it I'm very glad you brought that specific thing up because that was the first thing I noticed when I pulled up Disney plus, you know, you're looking at the franchises under the Disney plus banner. And the first thing I realized was Muppets isn't anywhere, uh, despite there being so much content already. Um, yeah. Yes. I, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's just so much. It, more than when Star Wars started out on Disney Plus, really. So, you know, if Star Wars got yeah. its own situation, uh, there's no reason Muppets shouldn't have theirs. But the fact that it doesn't does sort of make me think, um, you know, it, it's a big question mark. Because, frankly, I would take five and ten minute shorts, too. Yes. Um, I accept if they can't do full big seasons really regularly, although I think with enough planning, there's they should be able to but setting yeah. that aside i'll take a 10 minute short i'll take you know there's so many like sketches and ideas and there's so much that i'd be willing to accept to get this ball rolling but um i i do have trouble seeing if this is if if we are trying to get a ball rolling or not Ultimately, I think the challenge for the Muppets is going to lie in whether or not they're willing to invest the time in cultivating an audience. You know, I think one of the biggest things is Disney Plus is not in a position to take chances right now, unfortunately. You know, 
they're taking an impairment charge fee on cutting a bunch of content. Um, you know, and when you cut content, there's got to be a reason. It, it's got to be that like hosting it and the continuation of the rights costs too much or something. You want to sell it to freebie as exclusives. I don't know. No, but... I mean, those are those are good reasons. We do have to start keeping in mind that like bandwidth becomes a thing for for these services. Yeah. And so we, you know, at some point, the vault can't be literally limitless. Yeah. And the Muppets kind of need a hit. And I don't think this is it yet. Um, I don't think this is a disaster, but I don't think this is the hit. Uh, I like it. I'm definitely excited to watch the next five. Um, interesting seeing so much Zed, I guess. Um, ben Schwartz has a funny yeah. bit. Enjoy Ben Schwartz in it. Um, I think my biggest complaint so far is for as much as I am glad they are not overly featured in any way, I'm disappointed we haven't seen any other Muppet characters. Yeah. It sort of feels like the electric mayhem exists in a vacuum. Yeah. And maybe that was intentional to like make this stand on its own, but that's sort of the point is we don't want the Muppets to stand on their own. And, and if we're getting so little Muppets content these days, this kind of becomes our one chance to see some of these characters again. And you know, we just watched an episode of Friends that featured David Arquette playing Phoebe's twin sister Ursula Stalker. And, you know, it's a story that would never fly these days. But the moral of the story here is they are able to have, for just a throwaway gag, Ursula walk by just for one moment because she's played by Lisa Kudrow. They can do that. They could have them call Kermit on the phone and yeah. have Kermit say one line. And that's it. I'm not exactly sure which performers play which Muppets and who's regular on this. So I'm not trying to speak to I don't know who they literally do have in front of them. But I know that, you know, the different performers all play different characters. And I am somewhat disappointed to see that we haven't gotten any other Muppet cameo yet. I really would have liked more of that. And I think that probably would have uh helped a little bit more and you know <clears throat> that kind of does go to the heart of something you said earlier this could have been shorter and i do agree this probably could have been shorter uh if for no other reason uh there's a report going on right now that kevin feige was really displeased with the original cut of echo and mm. was pretty close to cutting it down to four episodes instead of eight just to make the best product they could from it and ultimately they like reshot the series instead and i have to assume they did that knowing that daredevil born again was coming now like there were reasons to reshoot the series but mm -hmm. i think we're talking about an age where like you know you could have had fewer episodes and had a few more muppets per episode I understand there's a fiscal model on this, but I'm telling you, my fiscal model is I would not go back and rewatch this readily at 10 episodes, but I might have it six 
Or I might have if it was more Muppets or something, if it wasn't just all electric mayhem focused, no other stories. That and makes it a harder sell for rewatch. Yeah. We may, again, if, if context shows up in later years where it turns out this is the first in the floodgate, this is the first, you know, series in the floodgates then opening. And we kind of want to look at how things opened up from here uh but yeah standing on its own it's not doing uh 10 streaming episodes which is a, a really a season that's a big season you know it's five hours other shows have gotten eight and been overjoyed with those eight hours or eight episodes and been overjoyed with those eight episodes so you know it's a lot that's just a big question mark um a very beautiful golden question mark but a question mark nonetheless do you know what i actually want from this what? now because you, you you when you said in retrospect and i was thinking about how this could specifically watch differently in retrospect and what i actually really would love from the muppets is like a large-scale version of arrested development season four where it's all of these different intercut stories with the Muppets mm -hmm. and like you watch one episode and you get one perspective and you watch another episode and you get another perspective that would be very funny to watch with these characters and you know it's that sort of experimental comedy where it's not too experimental and it has the softness pun intended of being muppets that would uh really help sell it to people that i think they need to uh really start playing more i mean i'm still pushing muppets reality theater i'm imagining the muppets judging wipeout uh i'm imagining the muppets judging you know um drag race just like literally fozzy being like very referential the felt gonzo would be would a be great amazing. judge pepe would be yeah. a great judge on drag race i completely agree with this so just very fishy okay man tk is just so mad at my fozzy impression it is what it is I'm not the least bit mad. I love your Fozzie impression. Well, he loves you. So I don't rate it as a hate crime. <laughs> All right. Any closing thoughts on Muppets before we kick it to a commercial and uh, then come back to talk about some wool silos and then some drag queens? Uh, no, I mean, watch it. Everybody watch it and give it something because I don't know what else we do. Um, but you know this is also the worst timing because if they're if they are not hitting the ground running if this is a success which they cannot hit the ground running right now because people cannot work to develop the next thing uh it's going to be tough so watch this give it some support um we've never been more ready for a muppets revolution in this new millennium let's make it happen yeah, Kevin. pretty much yeah. that, you know. Um, it's Muppets. Remember Muppets? Muppets are still Muppets. Go rewatch go rewatch re your favorite Muppet movie and then go watch some of this and 
you know, recognize that it's updated for the 2020s, but it's it's still Muppets. I think that's a huge thing where I'm always like, like some of their reactions to Once and Always and people being like, this is dumb. Power Rangers was dumb. Of course it's dumb. Go rewatch <laughs> the Green with Evil miniseries and then watch Once and Always. And you'll see where, you know, all they're trying to do is lovingly evolve these things that we really enjoyed from our childhoods and pretty much doing a bang up job, you know, is every minute of every episode of this gold so far? No. Is anything on CBS? No. So just, just enjoy things again. And you know, the Frasier it, reboot won't be. For as much as it's going to have Perry Gilpin. Yeah. So NBD just, you know, one. give stuff a chance and we'll see how it goes. Bye, Unico. Any final thoughts? Um, no, just Muppet Reality Theater. Really it. Uh, it was great to see the Muppets. Uh, the manager is a lot of fun, but I do think she's comedically too much bigger than Dr. Teeth for me to find that as anything but a barren mouse mouse exploding during sex kind of situation. Um, so No, you're not allowed to explain that. I'm not kind of. No, I mean, Dick Van Dyke is just going to show up in a clown suit. So I think uh, there's a lot of really cool potential for this. I just want to see them go with it. Um but you know we did just have like the willow series cut so uh disney is shocking not, yeah disney's not looking to keep you if if you're playing the fool so good luck muppets everybody stream it um first month streams are by far the most important i mean it's really first week stream i was gonna say first hour as soon as you can watch a thing watch it um and then do everything in your power to change the system because it's absurd and some of us don't yeah. have that kind of time truly nope. some of us like have to make job livings and shows so all right um okay guys don't forget to like and subscribe we are really excited to bring this show to you saturdays and sundays uh sundays talking all about tv saturday talking about something big in media um like subscribe and check out these funky fly fresh commercials hey everybody welcome back to x's for show we are here for hour two of sunday's talking tv you can check out the show at x's for show on all of your socials and uh, you can check us out uh, i'm nico action this is of course tk and kevo and uh, our amazing socials are scrolling across the screen because kevo is the greatest producer in the world um right. you are uh you are the gilman to our Regis and Kathy Lee. I call, oh God, there's no winning in that one. I call Mark Consuelos. You did this to yourself. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, <clears throat> um, I really want to do a bit one time where we all come back in in white jackets and I freak out and say that the jackets look too similar and make you guys change your jackets. Could yes. you grab the sweat the sweater out my own? Yes. There's I just, a on the back just, of the chair. I'll change. It's fine. We can't look. We can't all look the same. We can't all look the same. That's all. Someone in someone in wardrobe should have said something. something. I um, want to spend the whole time talking to an off-screen producer that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Do I come in and ruin your lights? Uh the so, cream of Hollywood. Speaking of the cream of Hollywood. Um, 
I knew nothing about Silo going into it. And while not everybody in it is a huge name, there are some definite names I recognize, like uh, none other than Ann Perkins herself in Rashida Jones, daughter mm. of the amazing Quincy Jones. Uh, and I am a, a big fan of hers. think she's super great. Uh, there is also the stunningness of Ferdinand Kingsley, uh, who is the son of Ben Kingsley. Why do I point out back to back that they're both Nepo babies? Well, because that's how the system works. Um, he is also playing Hob Gadling over in Sandman, and goodness, could I ever Hob my Gadling to him. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out that po uh, former Poet Laureate of the United States, Common, is a regular character in this common who um you know go inexplicably featuring john mayer and kanye west um you know really great track uh just to give a sample of like how cool how cool common can be because like that song is like pinnacle cool right um anyway uh Really also, cool major shout out to Rebecca Ferguson, who ultimately is the star of this show, um, who plays Lady Jessica in the Dune films, a an accomplished and phenomenal actress. Uh, one thing that I recently really loved her in uh, is a podcast, a fictional podcast put on by Realm, uh, wherein she plays an artificial intelligence trying to discuss... Uh, kind of the meaning of life and the nature of life with her creator and it's very uh my dinner with andre uh but sci-fi and weirdly produced by trudy styler wife of sting uh who himself was in an adaptation so i'm bringing it full circle man and i just wish you would come to us with an original thing instead <laughs> um so yeah, Rebecca Ferguson, incredible talent. Uh, just she's a, crazy because here she looks like Perry Gilpin's daughter, mm -hmm. but here she Perry looks Gilpin. like Emily Deschanel. I what? do see, I see both. Yeah, I, she that's looks very like fair. Emma Frost, who's about to go mark some Twain. There, she looks amazing. Not that Emma Frost would ever be seen dead in a denim jumpsuit. Um. Okay, I want to rewind a minute. Yeah, because, let's rewind. Um. To say I know literally nothing yeah. about this program yes. is uh, a deep understatement. Yeah. Um, I watched the first episode and was not grabbed, but liked it a lot. And then we watched the second episode and uh, like Sofia Vergara trying to learn to ride a bike, it grabbed me and I was a taken. You know, Kevo, you know a little bit more than me about the show, I think. Mm -hmm. You um, were aware so that it existed in the first place. Nico, when I brought it out to him, did not know that this was airing. And to be fair, it's on Apple TV. Nobody really should have to know that things are on Apple TV. We'll get to that later. Um, I don't remember if I was aware of it before you brought it to us. I don't I remember. I feel 100%. like I remember that you were. I didn't know much about it, if anything. Yeah, that's I'm merely pointing out a step above Nico who knew literally not that this existed nor that there were books. What's a silo? Uh, I think it's yeah. like what's a I think it means Silon. 
Shed. Shia LaBeouf. You're forgetting Shed. some letters, TK. Actual uh, cannibal yeah. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm me, so I couldn't not read about it. Mm -hmm. uh, the universe conspired against me, and there aren't very deep spoilers for this yeah. uh, anywhere. But um, I knew enough that something that your wonderful partner and friend of the pod, Jake, said while we were watching the pilot, uh, they commented on the sequence of events and the yeah. way that they were portrayed. And I, from the limited amount that I know, just like spoilers, mostly from the beginning and the opening events of the series, yeah. uh, I would agree. I also think that the way that it was structured is very odd and can see why it didn't necessarily grab you. Uh, for me, the most grabbing thing about this series so far has just been the visual. Mm -hmm. um, stunning, beautiful sets and cinematography. Incredible and use of space. All of that. Uh, so at the very least, even where I've also when I know what's going to happen to a degree, uh, I found it very jarring, but it's still been very engaging uh, visually. If a little slow, but like when a show looks like this, do you think it's going to be fast paced? It's not. Everything's brown. It's going to be slow. And that's okay. Some stuff is just a warm bath and you just let it wash over you. The Silo and the Furious. So, okay, Teek, when did you come to this? When when did you find it? Was, was it into it? Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about wool dust. For what, how long shift. before have you been wooled? Oh, I uh, wooled myself really soon after uh, the first book came out. So, right, 2013. I, yeah, it was about 2013. Uh, it was when I just started my current job, which is running a bed and breakfast, and there was a lot of sitting around time because you just kind of have to wait for people to show up a lot of the day. So, I read a lot at the very beginning, and um, I think I had my first ebook reader at that point. I'm, I love e-ink. It's my favorite way to read. Um, I I do not love reading off of a lit up screen, but I'm weirdly obsessed with e-ink. Uh, don't ever get me started talking about the possibilities of e-ink comic book readers. But anyway, the big thing about this series was that Hugh Howie, the author of the books, found success posting, uh, publishing, self-publishing a novelette on the Kindle ebook store. And I think it was just 99 cents and it sold wildly well. He ended up posting five more books that were all novelettes of this story wool. And that whole combined thing became the first book. So, you know, if you were following along as he was publishing this, you would be buying one at a time in a sort of, uh, you know, serial purchasing and, and reading type of thing. And they were not super long. But at the end of the day, if you read the whole thing, as I did, you were reading one very long novel. Uh, and then from there, I waited uh, on the other two. The second the second book um, shift was published 
as three novelettes. And then the final book, Dust, was just published. At that point, he, he knew what he had. But um, Make it I, a book! <laughs> I was so impressed with uh, this, this person who kind of flipped the script a little bit with publishing and did it his own way and found enormous success that that was that was half of it for me i almost didn't care what the story was but ultimately i found myself really enjoying the story as well now okay i i don't want to get too spoilery about the books right yeah so i want to stick mostly to the show now i know four episodes have been released yep and we've watched two of them I believe you've watched four. All of them. Right? So it's sort of like the Muppets thing where we're catching up incrementally. We're doing the thing. We're Angela Bassett. Some of us are watching more of one. Some of us are watching more of the other. We can cover it all. Uh, This is, you know, to quote Samwise Gamgee, share the load. I will never leave you, Mr. Frodo. Um, Potatoes. Nailed it. I want to start with, it is a very slow opening, but it does remind me a lot of what networks were trying to do about a decade ago. Once Lost and Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy, to a maybe lesser extent, because Grey's Anatomy is a little bit more traditional soap opera, whereas Desperate and Lost are a little bit more linear serialized narrative storytelling i uh, throw battlestar galactica in the yeah mix there too. i was about to say you know and then we sci-fiified it yeah. and we started to see almost anthology-esque versions of it in shows like supernatural and then we mm. saw legitimate anthologies of it in shows like american horror Story. yeah and this idea of the serialized evolution of storytelling uh this really does feel like what shows like the river we're hoping to accomplish. But you know, when you said that this show is available in such unbelievably high quality, you know, it really feels like every episode is a film. You know, they said that was true of the Orville season three, which is one of the finest seasons of sci-fi I've ever seen in my life. Um, but this looks like a movie every episode. It does. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and that is one thing that I do appreciate about Apple TV. You know, they really go for the aesthetic and the quality. Uh, it you know, it's very easy to to watch this in 4K, which you know, a lot of things are are aired in 4K or shown in 4K, but. Um, they're not really filmed with an eye towards making sure that 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 it would matter that they were in 4K, especially yeah. for for uh, television and streaming. You know, for for films, it's a different story. But um, for all of the sort of oddness about Apple TV uh, and my real concern that like stuff becomes very inaccessible uh, when it's on Apple TV, this I'm pleased that this show got made and got made through them it seems like foundation is going to get another season so i have high hopes um it's it's I, it's too long a conversation to talk about where apple is going with its strategy these days oh. 
The uh, ghost of Steve Jobs places a paywall before you. I mean, uh, you know, I would be more comfortable if I knew Steve Jobs was still in the mix, to be quite honest. But uh, <laughs> it's for yeah. your safety. The ghost and all would still be less, less. Uh, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's why it's so weird. Exactly. Uh, real quick, I also just want to give like the quickest of summaries uh for you know for anybody who is curious at all about what this is about essentially this story takes place in the silo which is a uh an enormous underground tower housing 10,000 people uh who don't really know why they're there they have been living there for generations so long that they have lost some of their history um and the they're you know it's a standard society post-apocalyptic society they make do with what they have uh the silo is large enough that they can do things like farm and you know they have an it department because they have a certain amount of technology uh and the one thing that you can't do is say that you want to go outside because if you do that you will be sent outside and they put you in a in a suit but you will still die there's something in the air or in the environment that will kill you as soon as you go outside uh when you are sent outside the one thing they ask that you do is to clean the one camera that they have that faces the outside world that tells them you know this is what what it looks like out there and it's just a barren wasteland uh, and ultimately, it is a murder mystery about why some people started saying they wanted to go outside and what happened from there. Uh, it, Rashida Jones plays a really fantastic flashback character who uh, I, I think it's perfect casting for her. But uh, really, Rebecca Ferguson becomes by the third episode the primary protagonist of the show. And it is just sort of unraveling this post-apocalyptic mystery. Becky Ferguson, she love you long time. I do have to say, I love Rashida Jones generally, and I mostly enjoyed her, but I really feel like the role was just a little bit too far out of her range. I think some of the drama of it was a little rough from her. Um, Just how visceral it got, I feel like she is such a stern person that... I don't think that some of the emotion of the character came across the way that uh, it could have. And, you know, no tea, no shade, nothing against Rashida Jones. I There's a million and one roles I would love to see her in. Yeah. Uh, with all the lovely Star Trek content coming out, she could play a goddamn amazing Starfleet Admiral. But great something about this i really can't give her more than a b and i really maybe would have enjoyed her more in a different role on this and someone else in her role Mm -hmm. i wonder if maybe she and i you know nothing against rebecca ferguson so far as she's doing but i wonder if she would have been better in this role um not that i don't want her in it obviously just i feel like that maybe would have been a little bit more what i feel is in rashida's range that's interesting um i'll be interested if you feel that way after seeing episode four especially um i 
I totally hear what you're saying, and I don't, I don't like 100% disagree or anything. The one thing that I felt like I really got from Rashida Jones is like part of the whole idea of this setting is that uh, it's kind of lifeless and and dead. They don't have any natural light. The joy has been sucked out of their lives. They're just kind of surviving. And Rashida really, the performance to me really gave that like she is not particularly emotional in any way it's not that she's miserable it's just that they she has a, is a product of a society that doesn't have enough to have strong emotions and doesn't have enough to sort of feel really strongly and she portrays that really well to me uh all the way up to when she hits a breaking point for herself and it becomes clear that she just can no longer handle being a person in this world and she manages to fall apart so exactly as i sort of pictured it in my head having uh read the books and saw, seen the character in that regard and if i can jump in one of the things Please. that i really loved about this show and i mean i'm just like about it is specifically this show skews geriatric this is, I would say, the oldest cast on TV yep. since Evening Shades 20th reunion. This is I don't legitimately, know about that. I mean, but like, I think it's amazing because number one, Common is an unbelievably handsome man at any age of his life. Uh, these two leads are both easily in their 40s, if not uh, skewing a little older than that. Yeah. And they do an incredible job selling this visceral world. Now, I agree with Kevo, but I disagree with the reason. I think my problem is that when I see Rashida Jones, I always think kind of plush. I always think mm -hmm. she's sort of luxe. She's always got this. Even Ann Perkins seemed like she had a Birkin bag. And I know she didn't, but there was always something where I'm like, she's not actually poor. I sort and of wonder if that has to do with like knowing who she is. I don't know because like I can see other similar Nepo babies in impoverished roles. What like... I, what I see in Rashida is something I feel is similar and it's this energy of, can you believe I'm doing this? So... It's the energy and Perkins gives on parks and a wreck. And yeah, it's, it's definitely an energy that I think she gives this, jimming the camera of life now there's another character on silo that i do really want to take a moment and uh point to and while it sounds like i'm just harping on him because he's beautiful uh there is something that ferdinand kingsley's character adds to the show mm -hmm. this is not a show about hope this is a show about bleak desperation in the face of a soulless winter that has incurred thousands of which seems like years like i have no idea how long they've been in the silo i think that water has bacteria in it stay out that flashlight bitch it's gone get back up your rope yeah. we have no <laughs> idea what's going on with that rope all i know is that she was at a gay convention went to the massive table spent the 180 and bought the rope set so to that end um this is a show that is not about hope. 
right? There's like two or three different ways you can do like true hope in a dystopian story. There's like Newt in Aliens, where it's the idea of innocence as hope to those who have lost their own. There is the light at the end of the tunnel. And then there's Desperation. And this show lacks an innocence hope. It mostly has smacks of desperation. But my gosh, Ferdinand Kingsley's character is like determined to be joy in a joyless place. And I really think that that's a lovely thing to have in a story like this. It's why I can get into it. It's why the second episode had me because I am designed to be anti-dystopian storylines. It doesn't appeal to me when everything is in grayscale. Sorry about it. But, you know, it's sort of like taking grayscale and calling it gunmetal and suddenly a straight man loves it. I don't know, but you slap a little bit of hope on something and you get this guy's attention. And there well, is a warmth to this uh, that definitely and i think it's i think what it, it also is is that it becomes infectious uh he does have a joy to him and uh that is imparted to his love interest who is uh played by rebecca ferguson um and he also starts to unravel the mystery first and imparts his interest in that into Rashida Jones and these two characters who are living a kind of lifeless existence are propelled forward because of this person who had just a little bit more of something that nobody gets enough of in this world and that so said, he like un NPC'd them yeah, I mean, yes, essentially. And, uh, you know, that little seed that he plants becomes this network of vines that is going to be this whole plot going forward. Uh, and I think it is fascinating as well because uh, he, you, I don't want to say he gets fridged because it's not really a fridging. Uh, it is, he, uh, he does die. I, that's not really a big spoiler to tell you that. Um, but that is what sets off this whole mystery. And I think it is fascinating to see that happen to a male character. I do want to say though, as I must point out, yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 and all of that is wonderful. I agree with all of it, obviously, yeah. but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not the only reason that he has our attention and oh, no, that's not the not. only thing that is attracting Nico's attention on this show. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also bring up, um, Oh, Knox, the, the most trend out forearms I have ever seen. Um, congratulations, sir. It must be terrible putting on long sleeves. Shane McRae is the actor. Uh, somebody I've seen in a couple other things. He's not like an unattractive man at all, but I've never, I mean, Google him. I've just never seen a picture where I was like swooning. And then the first time he appears on screen, his facial hair, his fade, his insane forearms. He just is the sexiest man in this horrible hellscape world that they live in. Uh, and it took me forever to figure out who he was because how he looks in the show is not how he looks in any of his promotional imagery or in like any other film he's been in. Uh, anyway, yeah, I got way too horny for this dude. And uh, did it cloud my judgment? 
maybe, but I'm sticking with it. Let's talk horny for a second, though. Please. Um, in the age of the writer's strike, you know, I I just want to say that we covered what I think is my show of the year, Jury Duty. Yes. Uh, because Jury Duty is a motherfucker of a show. But I can understand why the decision to submit it as a comedy and not an unscripted series is exactly why the writers have to strike um you know that media was like yeah wednesday adams change the lines i mean like that's literally a thing that they show as irresponsible and poor judgment on friends joey doing like that's it's why it's fired it's such an obvious thing like it's why i would never go up to a pilot and go just so you know i think you're flying wrong and i know i don't fly but i'm going to tell you that you should change the flight pattern you just don't do those things so i understand in the age we're living the quality of a writer's life their work what they do how they are unique and contribute to the world is legitimately being questioned for its authenticity and the value of its contribution to society and the art it produces. That said, this show's dialogue could literally never work in another show. It is so carefully crafted. Like, there's this one scene that took my breath away because the quality of the dialogue had a a lyrical tonality to it the mayor is speaking to the once again like older gentleman that is working in the sheriff's office with her and he says to her i'll have the woman sent for referring to uh the character played by becky ferg and um she says no no i'll go to her and he says 144 levels and she replies I had to send their their mayor. I had to send their mayor to clean a sheriff uh, sheriff to clean. They need to see their mayor. And I was just like the quality of dialogue here. Nearly every term is a magical new lexicon that I've only learned in two episodes. And every line of it is exquisite. Like it is truly it's really keeping you on your toes in such a way where you're still not sure how complicit anyone is on this show. So really excellent to that end. We should credit uh, the showrunner who is the writer of the line of dialogue you're talking about. uh, Graham Yost, who uh, fascinating catalog on this person, as Kevo uh, pointed out, he yeah. is the writer of Speed, Broken Arrow. Which, to remind everybody, in French, was not called La Vitesse. It was called Le Speed. Le Speed. Anyway. Uh, Speed, Broken Arrow, Speed 2, colon, Cruise Control, uh, Mission to Mars, Planet of the Apes, uh, Band of Brothers, The Last Castle. Created <laughs> um, Justified. <laughs> Batman and Brothers wrote one of the Monkey People movies. Shut the fuck up. Probably the Mark Wahlberg one. Yeah. Yes, the Mark Wahlberg one. Um, just an absolutely. Well, but you have to. You you haven't gotten to my favorite, which comes at the top of all of these, which was being a story editor on and writing thirteen episodes of Nickelodeon's Hey Dude. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. As. I mean, as yep. As Nico pointed out, 
if you take Hey Dude and you take Justified, uh, if you take Hey Dude and Speed, you get Justified. So yeah. um and you know there's a writer or a director coming up who directed the fourth episode so you guys have not seen this yet but uh his directing credits include studio 60 ally mcbeal uh american horror story roswell angel buffy uh dawson's creek 90210 it's too much to dream that it's tommy schlammy right it is not Tame Shlame. Um Oh, and Watchmen. Watchmen was the other one I was totally blown away by. Who is this man? Uh, David Semmel. And, you know, he's he's just one of those dudes who's working in Hollywood behind the scenes <gasps> that we just don't He directed really the pilot of Disco. He directed the first episode of Star Trek Discovery. Good director. Um, So just wild credits in this just a a a fascinating group that is coming together to put this together i was uh i was so interested in seeing david semmel's work because it is all of the shows that i think of as being a really important precursor to this show um there are a couple of other writers who have done Battlestar Galactica work. So, you know, it's very clearly in a tradition and it's a tradition that this group especially has a lot of experience with the shows that came before. Um, in that way, I find it very compelling. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this one in terms of you know they have the blueprint already they know where it needs to end uh the pace they're moving now would not result in fewer i think than seven seasons to get through to the end so i feel like at some point i'm very interested to keep watching this first season because i feel like at some point they're gonna have to rapid fire cut to the feeling and just get us on to the next thing um I hope that there is a really solid plan in place to get this in three, maybe a fourth. Three seasons, maybe a fourth. Uh but looking at you, man in the high tower. Oh, please. Uh I just that's that is the tough thing in the age of streaming. That is such an important part of this conversation that we're having about the writer's strike and the nature of this content nobody is confident anymore that the shows they invest in are going to end. And we got really used to it in the era of lost while lost may not have had the best ending. And while I certainly don't believe that they knew that they were going to end where they did, they did guarantee us from episode one that they knew it was going to end and that they would get us to the end. Same thing with Battlestar Galactica. I've listened to every single commentary Ron D. Moore has done on that show and ad infinitum. He repeats, I promised you guys I would get you to the end and I'm going to, uh, we have come to expect that of our serial, especially sci-fi and fantasy dramas, because there's always a kernel of needing to know what happened in science fiction and fantasy stories. And it is tough being in this world 
feeling like there is a real chance that this show will do the work to push us towards a conclusion that it will never get. Because again, if everybody is not watching the show in the first week, some ridiculous metric is going to tell studio execs that they should just ditch it. You know, uh, as we wrap up this segment, I just want to say that I was really not sure how I felt about watching another adaptation you know, uh, it, it's one of those things that you just get so resistant to it. But TK, I'm glad that you asked me to watch the TV show version of Kerplunk. And I'm in for every last stick and marble. Um, you are the worst. <laughs> Kevo, what you think about Silo? Um, You know, I really uh, echo a lot of what TK was saying about um, it's hard to know if something is going to get picked up for more and so it's hard to commit. Uh, at the very least, when something is an adaptation of something, you know the book is out there, so you know the story is out there. It would be a bummer if they didn't get to carry the entire thing across the finish line. Um, you know, I think one of the things that this has both working for and against it is being Apple TV. Uh, I don't know that they are necessarily known uh, for being giant show killers in any They are way. not the worst about that, but they also haven't had enough time. And they're also, they're also Apple TV. Everyone knows Ted Lasso and maybe half a dozen other shows that are on Apple TV. Shmigadoon. Depending on who you are. Shmigadoon. Oh, Shmigadoon on Apple TV? Exactly. You don't even know. Yeah. Uh, The morning show with Jen Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, Fraggle Rock. Um, There's a Harriet the Spy cartoon show on there. I discovered that. Like, there's like, I don't know. I don't even even remember what's on Apple TV. So uh, that's kind of working against it that it's one of the odder streamers. Yep. But the fact that they don't seem to be ruthless and that they took this chance knowing who they are. I hope as Ronald D. Moore once wrote that they have a plan. (laughs) I too really hope that there is a plan. Um, I really, I do recommend this show if you are a fan of, uh, you know, dystopian and or post-apocalyptic sci-fi and fantasy, uh, it's well done, man. I mean, like it is, it is a well done series that comes from a really solid story. And in this day and age, I feel like that combination of stuff is a little bit more difficult to come by. So, uh, definitely, you know, please watch this and then, uh, find me on Twitter again. That's X Nate X gray X and DM me and tell me what you think or tweet at me and, you know, give me your reviews because uh, I want to know. And we're going to take one more short break. But when we come back, we're coming back with our very own lip sync assassin. And I just want to leave you guys on this really quick. OK, so she's Aja LaBeja, right? It's unfortunate that it's not Aja LaBaja or Asia LaBeja. You know what I mean? But never Asia LaBaja, you know? It didn't get a laugh in the car. 
but that was your choice, and that's okay. Uh, it does. It, there's some very where's, name where's game vibes name to it, it, though. You know, Aja, Aja, Boba. I think like, there's there's something there. But uh, Kevo is right. If it didn't get a laugh in the car, maybe uh, you know you don't bring it on air. Commercial. <laughs> we love you. Commercial me. It's a reveal. <laughs> He See? was wearing glasses the whole time. And I, I changed outfits and everything. It's same hat. I should have done a different hat. Anyway, so um, this could not possibly be an episode of Drag Race All-Stars without, uh, I can't do this, the glasses with the reflection. It's too terrible. Oh, my God. Okay. Back to human. Um, it could not possibly. It was you the whole time? It was me the whole time. Um, this could not possibly be. And uh, all stars without our very own all star, our very own lip sync assassin, uh, the cutest boy in the whole wide world. Um, you know, when, from the house of action, I would our own know, JoJo. I would go to his table at DragCon. Uh, I hope his nudes leak. All sorts of fun. So uh, let's bring him on the show. All right, what you packing or whatever I'm supposed to say. Work fan favorite. You're still a mute fan favorite. Okay, am I am I not You're muted so anymore? Good. There you go. Now we can hear <laughs> okay, you well, I mean, hey Jojo uh, Siwa. Okay, hold what'd on. What'd you do? Give me, give me a second. Hold on, I'll remove you and bring you back on. And on. Oh. Hey everybody, what's up? It's me, Jojo Romita here, and I'm just gonna say hi. And I'm have a good time, my dragons. Ah! Where are your bows? I, fig- I was yeah. I figured you were gonna do a JoJo Siwa impression, and I also want to know where your bow is. Come on, I've been in my car for a week. That is uh, JoJo. That's that's my impression of the one Joanimus Sawanimus, um, JoJo Siwa yeah. herself, who we love and stand. But you are our JoJo, and where can we find you? You can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P E A K. Okay. Welcome to the show, gorgeous. <clears throat> I want to start with, listen up how dumb this season numbering nonsense is for All-Stars and All-Stars Untucked. You were very I'm out there looking for All-Stars Untucked season eight, and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. In fact, neither does season seven, nor does season six. I find season five, but I'm like, there's no way season five of All-Stars Untucked goes to season eight of All-Stars. That makes no sense. That's not good SEO. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I message TK and I'm like, is it behind some kind of World of Wonder paywall or something? And he's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, okay, so, okay, this is so much better. I was the color of the other background, and it was making me very upset. So, right, thank you. So, um, I am furious. I lost minutes of my day. Um, And I asked a question to start this uh, jam off. And I said to TK, is All-Stars Untucked always so tragically boring? And he said, no. And so my question for you is, is All-Stars Untucked always so tragically boring? 
Isn't Untucked frequently tragically boring, though? There's no. bursts. No, 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 no. Untucked <clears throat> has changed so much in the past years that it's not exactly what it was. But if you look at season two to, like, season six of Untucked, before they changed the format. Now, which seasons of Drag Race did those apply to? Right? F. So that uh, that is also an important point. There is no reason that all stars should have the wrong numbering because there was always a companion all star show. But interestingly enough, Drag Race, the original Drag Race series, the first season, the show, the after show was called something different. So the first season of Untucked is goes with the second (coughs) season of Drag Race. And it has completely destroyed my filing system. Uh, and so the fact that this is also happening for unrelated reasons with All-Stars as well is just maddening at a level uh, I do not know what to do with. There's some drag queen chaos right there. So to answer your question, is it always so boring? No. Untucked no. can be very fun and very funny. As I mentioned, season two to season six of, of Untucked is absolutely hysterical, in part partially because it is so over-edited. It is, it is, there's a moment in season six where Laganja Estrandra asks a question. So what, and this is the first episode that they, that they're doing with their half. And she says, so what do y'all think? And it's, it's just a door looking over at her saying about what? And it's, everybody taking a sip and it's obviously edited in a way that this is all concurrent and then it's just a cuts to look to the confessional saying what the f and it's the funniest thing in the world to me because it's it was so it sounds like you've just described david lynch reading the weather it's it is it is that level of i have no idea what's happening here but but it's so funny that it's just edited that way. All that happened was they cut to Laganja asking the question, and then they just curated six random clips of the girls drinking, sipping their drinks, and not responding. You know that's not what happened when she asked the question. But Rue said you can't blame it on the edit. Exactly no, what is shown is edit, exactly girl. what happened. You're the one who said it. Uh, if you listen or, to that, or didn't say it. Um, but. Untucked will usually have one explosive. Nowadays, we'll have mm-hmm. one explosive fight a season, and then once that explosive fight happens, there are some heartwarming and touching moments. But if you're somebody who craves the idea of like the bad girls club, you want the that conflama. messy drama, the the drama conflama of it all. Um, you're not really going to get it much in untucked nowadays uh people are a little bit more aware of how they come across as on camera and you really won't find as many people who are explosive um uh, funny enough contestant candy muse from season 13 got into a fight episode uh, technically five but it was like the third actual main episode of the competition at that point um with another uh, with another contestant and that was the first time in a while two people were actually screaming at one another yep threatening violence um it was a fight for the ages like we had not seen before it is also the first episode that rupaul's drag race untucked won an emmy yeah because of that moment or the entirety of it 
Um, and, but that's the perfect example of like, of why I said kind of, because that is a great episode. That is a insane moment of reality TV chaos and nonsense that like part of me is like, we shouldn't even say it's good because we shouldn't be encouraging people to fight like that. But um, there's something interesting there. There's a greater discourse to be had, but then a lot of the rest of that season is not really remarkable in terms of untucked in terms of yeah yes yeah and, and specifically in terms of untucked there's there just isn't a ton that happens the big thing they started doing is sending the celebrity uh guest judge backstage mm. every episode rather than it just like happening kind of sporadically before and it's always weird because they have to sit apart for covid distancing reasons but then like the questions just feel so sanitized and silly. And if queen, Adina the, Menzel made one more fucking frozen reference, girl, and, we get it. Well, listen, you, Let it go. You're, not at, you're not at season 12 yet, but uh, Disney did produce an episode of Drag Race. Yes. And gave them permission to use the Broadway version of Let It Go. So they are they're uh, friends with Mickey uh, in certain certain capacities certain contexts uh but yeah adina menzel this was a fantastic example of this because she's so doing that thing where she's like i just think you the house down boots henny and it sounds so unnatural hi gay gay. it is so your your stepmom (laughs) i just want kiki with you yeah you went to poppers or g son (laughs) so I want to I want to uh take kind it of back. Bring it to Untucked for Kevo and I for a second. Cuz this was our first All-Stars Untucked, not our first Untucked, but our first All-Stars Untucked. Um and our first time watching Untucked with a live season. Yeah. Cuz we didn't really watch Untucked with 15, so No, yeah. just especially because, you know, one of the things that I will say is I do appreciate what Untucked adds and I do like a lot of what I watch, but I do but. not honestly believe that every episode is two hours of programming no i think there's like a good 75 minutes that i watch for 120 minutes that i love that 75 minutes so good but there is 45 minutes that feels a little bit zone out yeah it feels a little bit like the way uh, soap operas use the last 10 minutes of one episode is the first 10 minutes of the next episode so there's only 40 original minutes every episode but every episode runs an hour and it's it does... really unfortunate because this is a show that was designed to be on cable. If it had been designed as a streaming show, they would they would let some episodes be 75 minutes and others that had the time they would let run. That's something that we see all the time. And it's like Drag Race was built for that. And despite right? the despite the fact that they could do it because so like all stars is just streaming like they could absolutely do it they're so stuck in this broadcast cable format it's a mess they want to be able to sell it off something else part of the problem i noticed we saw it with the first early episodes of season 15 not the double premiere that got to be you know 90 minutes but uh those first couple of episodes where the competition is really getting started you know someone went home and now everything's really getting real for them um it felt like we didn't we weren't able to see enough when they're trying to fit it in 40 minutes trying to fit those 20 you know minutes of airtime. we barely get to see the challenges we barely get to see 
certain people in confessionals or any anything about that uh the runways were shorter and it felt like they didn't even have enough time to set up certain storylines i look back to the very first episode uh, the, the third episode of season 15 where they set up this storyline that sasha colby is playing this role and fumbles one line and in the confessional she's nervous if she's going to get it and then they immediately cut away to another team and we have no idea how it's going to turn out and it was an example of you're setting up this storyline but we're not getting this payoff anywhere at all we, we we literally have no idea did she actually struggle that much or whatever it was it just felt like there wasn't enough time but it's then they didn't did... cut the nonsense yeah well it it seems like they don't know exactly where they want to put their time and i i joke as we were watching this current episode um there are moments where i go and that that's how they're gonna win the emmy they just won their emmy right there they <laughs> keep in a lot of things that i'm going to start calling emmy bait to win them the emmy because they want the awards if we get to call out certain things for being Oscar bait, this was there, there are certain things they will keep in that are Emmy bait that aren't the most entertaining, but will get them the Emmy. I mean, and, like, and no offense to them, but they they copied it from other shows that yeah, they didn't invent it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a, a formula pitting people against each other emotionally for the sake of entertainment since long before RuPaul saw the value in doing it on a weekly basis. Well, and the fact is, this is what they are now working on building the legacy around because they've got their viewership. They made it from Logo to MTV. They know that they have who they have. Uh, now all they can do is convince everybody that they actually make some of the best reality TV there is because that's how you can expand the production company even further Uh by showing like we're not just capable of churning out drag race we're capable of turn churning out prestige reality television uh and that's very clearly you know where things are going jonah that's very clearly why it's so much emmy bait uh and i think it's also clearly why things always feel a little bit off compared to previous seasons in terms of like what's what is happening behind the scenes with production and what's happening with editing. So I want to bring us to episode three of all stars for a minute, which I think we could have just called, we will rot you um, <laughs> as the two Queens in the bottom were the two Rochester Queens. Uh, and that's one Mrs. Kasha Davis. And uh, my personal uh, un usual favorite darian lake i just think she's great um i don't know i i really uh loved this episode in a lot of ways i think this episode called to attention why each one of these girls is here this is an actual situation where it's like all stars. You know, there's that thing in every season of like the regular show of any reality show where you spend a couple of episodes being like, all right, well, it's never going to be sugar and spice in the finale. They will never keep spay and neuter both in the vet office. Listen, right? speaking of screw and bolt, they were the guest hosts on this week's episode of the pit stop. And if you need to know anything, and Bianca Del Rio is the one hosting the pit stop for the past two seasons, and it's the first thing, one of the first things that Sugar says is, oh, she's quick. 
about Bianca Del Rio. She literally says, oh, she's a quick one. You know, <laughs> I love Pain and Panic. I think we discovered are... this. Uh, so, did everyone know Bianca Del Rio is quick? Because we found out, y'all. Did you guys Listen, leave Arsenic and Old Lace alone. The thing about Bebop and Rocksteady is... You know, when I think um, about Squat and Babu... Um... Listen, the real thing about Glucose and Peppercorn is that they have great branding. So, okay, now that we have savaged two unbelievably talented... Uh, you know... Uh, it's, it's, it's believable. It's believable how talented they are. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, you know what... 15 years ago, they would have been a David E. Kelly storyline. Just to try and deny it. 15 so, years ago, they were just a sperm and egg. No, no. I mean, like, them, if they existed 15 years ago. Them as a concept. Ago, yeah. Listen, they would have been more on, concept like, than reality. They would have been on Boston Public, Boston Legal, Ally McBeal. They would have done oh, the like, David well, E. Kelly round. <laughs> so, we'll talk about these Rochester queens that have made out with each other that are both on the well, chopping block this week. Before we even get to these queens who are going home... I, I want to ask you guys a serious question uh, about the nature of All-Stars. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing I was bringing up in the first place. Nobody feels like a burn-off here. Uh, nobody feels like, I mean, uh, maybe if someone did, it she was beautiful and might have gone home second. Um, but, you know, Kevo, we're familiar with most of these queens. Are there any queens where you're like, why are you here? Or are there any queens where you're like, girl, obvious win? Well, let me bring up the cast board. What do you think of that, JoJo? I'm really excited! Uh, I lo- Listen, similar to the twins, JoJo Siwa has amazing branding. And mm-hmm. uh, the fact that I-, I will never forget someone talking about her, I think, like the streamers or whatever. She won the streaming. Whatever, she, whatever, she, some like YouTube, whatever. And she was like, you know, I grew up watching most of you and it's just really cool that i get to kind of just be here with all of you she like just seems like for somebody who has so much fame so much money so much you know out there being this big giant internet personality who for someone so young uh she seems really grounded and i really really respect her for that her untucked uh conversation was spectacular um she's got a lot of responsibility sitting on her shoulders choosing to be a young woman out in this world Mm. um and the fact that she describes it as she stayed up all night making this outfit with her cousin, mm-hmm. that's one of those things the where it's sweetest. like, she just seems Super like young. a human being. Like, there's this article, just to give her one more, I, I hate to be this, but not to unfocus. Give her her book. flowers. I'm, no, speaking yeah. of her flowers, I'm giving Miley Cyrus her flowers mm-hmm. because Miley Cyrus today, just or yesterday, I think technically, came out against arena tours. She's like, I'm never doing another arena tour. They're literally Damn. unnatural. They're unnatural Damn. for the economy. They're unnatural for the performance. They're unnatural to how people make a living. They are not a standard that should be maintained the world around. Performances shouldn't be about 27,000 people. And, like, I really respect her saying it's kind of like Olympic Villages, which ultimately wind up just, like, devastating the economy. That thing just sits there the rest of the year. It doesn't make money. These arena tours. Like, what are they? It's just really cool that somebody with as much privilege and money as she has isn't saying whatever it takes to make more money. Jojo Siwa didn't show up in a designer dress, drop the designer's name, and get to say, 
and that's why I didn't pay for this. Instead, she made her goddamn costume. That's a human being. Yeah. yeah. And she is someone who is growing from out of the child fame machine to turn around and try and do good and be positive and help other queer kids. We really loved her appearance on High School Musical, the musical, the series. So and hard. so seeing her on this, I want some High School Musical, the musical, the series kids to appear as judges. On I mean, actress who plays Gina. Race. Oh my God, she'd Carlos. be great. Seb, Carlos, Seb, Ashlyn, Big uh, what's Red, the one, the one who uh, found Jesus, lost Jesus, and now Joshua Bissett. That one. If he must, if he must. Oh, but cute. yeah, any of them. Mistakes, it's fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. But as long as you know, Carlos the kids are all right. The kids are super queer, and we love to see it. Um, but now ah, for some old queens. That board looks so good, Kevy. God, I'm obsessed with Jimbo. I don't know uh, what I did with my life before Jimbo. I just don't. Know I don't what I did with my life dislike Jimbo. Jimbo, but Jimbo's becoming one of those things where I'm like, all right, I don't know what it is where everyone's obsessed with Jimbo, but now it's making me nervous. How obsessed everyone else is with Jimbo. Jimbo, I'm, just I'm like, right there with you. I like Jimbo just fine. Yeah, nothing really against. No. Really no. funny no. moments. Die for her. That's, that's, that's the queen for me. Die for her. She is my my choice to win. Look, I mean, just looking at this promo image. Thank you. No, she's that's, awesome. That's then here it is. Okay. It is the salivating, foaming at okay. the mouth yes. that people do. That is very bonkers to me. I do think uh, she does her. really have a shot at the crown. Um, I yes. think, given yeah. all star winner demographics and what they like to see from a person who wins uh and who they want to have as a as a kind of melting pot in the drag race hall of fame i don't know not if the thai community has anything to say about it as uh <laughs> pangina did affect thai canadian relations yep. so it, it, it was an international incident it's true that's funny i she's a queen who her untucked made her so fabulous to me um and like I love Aja, but girl, she's a pinball bouncing down a hallway. Yeah, I was like, girl, you got to slow down. I, I'm like, I'm getting tired. Watch, Jesus Christ. She's always that though, and she's always been that. So it's always wonderful to see, no matter how people change, how much they stay the same. I don't know. I have this mental image of her doing the uh, Linda Evangelista monologue. Mm. Um, looking kind of like fire princess or flame princess from adventure time. And so like, she just wasn't always like this glowing ball of cute. She used to be a little rough. Oh, I have something I have to talk to you about, uh, say about all stars three, but oh. Oh, we'll talk about it later. Wait, all stars three. That's the one we're on. Yeah. 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 It's something, something you've already seen. Uh, I, I really do think that Aja is a queen that I'm lucky enough to have seen uh, her full run so far and so getting to see her here was like really cool um because there's queens i know nothing about like jessica wilde and i'm not doing that accent to be offensive uh you know as a latin man who just looks real white um i i mean it with love but uh i don't know her i love that she looks like a real femme beta ray bill and i think that's real hot and uh just whatever she wants uh she's real pretty uh but uh i don't know her 
So everybody being like, oh my God, referential to her season. I'm like, sure. Um, That's on us though. That's the thing of an all-stars of any series. Like this Mm -hmm. is always going to be something that is not meant to be viewed unless you have really watched enough of the show. Uh, You can't, you know, hold that against an all-stars really. No, I hold it against us, I guess. I was going to say, you are 100% reading me for that comment, because I was absolutely the person that said that yesterday. What? No. (laughs) Sure he is. (laughs) That's okay. Listen, Jessica Wilde talks like my grandmother who emigrated from Puerto Rico. And I I will never stop loving her, uh, especially because I truly say I love this drink. I don't can't tell you how many times a day. You do. TK, it's not that I don't want to say that you are Maine's answer to Michelle Visage, but she also said it. So I do understand that you're the chili lobster roll version of a good old-fashioned Jersey girl, but uh, it's not all about you, handsome. What I love especially about that is Michelle Visage being vegan and Uh, (laughs) gluten-free. My... My main lobster roll version is uh, perfectly antithetical in every way. And uh, I'm going to start branding myself as Maine's Michelle Visage. I, I, I rolls off the tongue. It really does. Um, Okay. So let's talk about the winning queens. That's Jessica and Jimbo. And uh, let's talk about the, the bottom queens which are, of course, Darian and uh, Kasha. Um, You know, having seen it now, I have to be honest with you, no elimination response will ever beat... Oh, Jesus, gross. Um, (laughs) Yes! We love you, Thorgy! I I maybe thought she came off uh, more bitter than, than she deserved to, Thorgy was a fascinating Amy Sherman Palladino character. That's for damn sure. I I very much enjoy Thorgy, and I will say I will say what Bob said. Bob has said Thorgy Thorgy doesn't want you to win. Thorgy doesn't want to win. She wants you to lose. Okay, and that's like antithetical to me. Yeah, but like I I really like Thorgy as a creature that exists. I just maybe don't love her appearance on uh, Drag Race, but God, do I love her appearance on Drag Race. She's amusing. You just just need to see her fierceness. Oh, Jesus. Gross. Oh, I I think I do. Stevie Nicks isn't a gay icon, guys. She's not exciting. Nobody gay guys in the audience at the show being like, yeah, Stevie, work! Uh, What what Fleetwood Mac shows have you How you know Thorgy has never been to a Fleetwood Mac show. Right, exactly. Oh my god. It is just like, it's like when you go to a Tori Amos show and everybody's like, oh, isn't Tori Amos just like girls with a lot of feelings? And I'm like, if by girls with a lot of feelings, you mean an insane number of hyper-muscular, trend out, tatted up, bearded gay men? I yes. wish a bunch of dumb twinks didn't rush the stage five times every Tory show. Oh my god! For songs it is... you'd never expect. It is literally the audience at a Tory show is the audience of a Drag Race finale. You could open up a gym 
just based off the memberships that you got at a Tori Amos show, an all gay male gym. Uh, literally, the last time I saw Tori Amos, I sat behind Mondo from Project Runway. That's right. It's that story. level of faggotry. Uh, so, Mondo, who yeah. was one of my all-time favorite competitors on Project Runway. Uh, I want to know who's... I want to know who Thorgy listens to instead. Who Thorgy mm-hmm. instead thinks. Jim are... Croce. Oh, she loves pink. <laughs> that really... That tracks. Moving, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Anyway, bottom queens. Um, I do have something to talk about. Jessica, uh, oh, when any there's ever a new season, if you're on the cast, it's very common from the travel around and do these viewing parties. Uh I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Jessica who talked about this. Mrs. Kasha Davis literally had said, send me home. I, not that I don't want to be here, but I don't want Darian to go home. I'd rather go home over Darian. Literally just saying, I don't want to go home. I, I, I'd rather you just pick me. And I can't guarantee Darian's set. That, that really came across darian has said some stuff this season like i literally have nothing but this career not i have nothing but drag race like she's super successful this is who she is but she's like i've never been in a relationship i am all about my career whereas mrs kasha davis in a way that reminds us of reminds me of all of us speaks so glowingly of mr kasha davis yeah. she loves her husband she loves her stepdaughters it is a very beautiful relationship. And and she has a solid career. Uh she's a she does a lot Definitely. of stand-up comedy and drag. Uh you know, I saw her the last time I saw her was opening for Bianca Del Rio, uh where she was a fantastic opener. And you know, I I think there are those queens that just come to have a good time come to play they're not sitting there thinking i i'm desperate to get to the finale and i respect when every once in a while one of those people says there's no need to fight about it i'm fine if i get sent home and there's always time for a cocktail there's always (laughs) not anymore no mocktail now there's always time for kindness always time for she's all choked up i couldn't i uh it was so good Sometimes, and, you know, oh, I was going to say there are some some queens will go the comedy route of saying yeah. something funny. It's the last thing that they're going to yeah. say. But there have been a couple of queens who do say something more, you know, personal and vulnerable. And it is those times where I'm like, I, to quote uh, Marsha Cubed, ouch, my heart. And, you know, to speak again on the nature of all stars seasons of any show, I am so much more chill with people not taking an all-stars as particularly seriously it's a little bit more intended to be fun and a little more intended to be just you know seeing old favorites again and you know they're gonna throw in exciting twists and turns and all that good stuff but you know i was so okay with Ben De La Creme taking the route that she did in All Stars season two because it's home. an All Stars. It's it's you know we know these people already. It's it's not quite as trying to make a name for yourself. These are already the names, you know. And I just want to celebrate that Darian Lake lost two hundred pounds and is still a big girl and like. That's beautiful. She doesn't need to be, you know, scary skinny. She can be 
full-figured and beautiful, but put in uh, a focus on her health. Because, like, no matter what, because you can be, you know, full-figured and very healthy, but it does get hard on your joints the older you get. As somebody with debilitating health conditions that led me to get into fitness, like, there's tons of reasons you could want to do it, and none of them need to involve fat shaming. And that's why when somebody says, I'm going to get fitter but stay full-figured, it's always so worth encouraging. And so that... We wound up in a position where it was not two rail skinny queens. Uh, and, you know, we got to keep some representation of some full figured beauty. I just think that's terrific. Um, I wish it hadn't been two queens that were maybe a little so similar. I, yeah. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if anybody else is a justifiable bottom over these two for this episode. Agreed They're on that count. I would love to get your guys' opinion on this because I saw some rumorings online. A lot of people were talking about that this episode seemed to have a uh, a heavy hand from production in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, who was in the top and who was safe. It seemed like a lot of people enjoyed the people who were safe um, a little bit more. I personally think they should have uh, had Heidi in the top as well because... Um, you and Heidi... Me and Heidi, I think her runway package was probably some of the more cohesive and better, as well as having one of the most to make that in the workroom is pretty fantastic. Um, I hope, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I just I was not sure how I was going to be received, and so to know that you all love me so much. Sorry, I just had to get that in there because I, Alexis, Michelle, you're so gorgeous, but Jesus. That was a real, uh, sh that was a shocking, like, two episode killer. <laughs> Rewatching that, I was just like, you know, I love Alexis Michelle's theatrics. And I love a queen that will steal a moment. But that got to such a level of absurd that, like, I'm still a little bit bitter about it. And the only thing that probably recovered her in my good graces was Heidi being such a brat this untucked. Um, I think, though... Your question about do I feel that this was overly produced in any way, it actually brings me back to the point I was making earlier. I that I, I lost uh, half the thread that and the point that I was trying to make where, you know, part of All Stars really highlights exactly what you're saying, how produced it is, how this is just whatever the hell Rue wants to do. And you're just kind of watching whoever Rue wants to win at any point. You know, this lip sync assassin challenge and this rollover prize. As I was watching this, I was saying to Nico, I was realizing this is just Rue decided, no, you don't deserve it this week. So you're not getting this rollover prize money. There isn't any unbiased uh forum or council that's making this decision it's no you didn't get it this week rue just doesn't feel like giving you the thirty thousand dollars it really is just whatever the hell she wants and nothing draws my attention to that more than especially when we get to the finale 
of a season and it's three women lip syncing all at once and it's just so chaotic unless and you're gonna start with a firecracker Rue. like aquaria it's not even a whole audience it's just rue and her friends watching the three of you do karaoke in front of them and rue going you you win and that's it and it's over and that's the whole season and that's what we're going to be driving toward for this whole season and as you're watching it it's built and structured in such a way that they really make you buy into feeling like it's a regular season of drag race and there's such high stakes but no it's we know all these women and we know that all of them are going to be affiliated with world of wonder after this unless it pisses one of them off so much that they go rogue uh and threaten to blow up drag con kind of uh but at the end of this it's just going to be any meeny miny well rue wants this girl who returned to be the winner and that's it season's gonna end and it's gonna be a really fun and exciting wild ride to watch as it's going but you know you ask me did it feel very produced well it is always very produced it's what rue wants you to enjoy from it it's what it always is, but especially on All Stars. And I absolutely hear what you're saying. There are times where it's either production's hand is so invisible that everything about the way that it came together, and part of that is the magic of editing. And I, I know that. I'm aware. I'm aware this is a TV show. Nothing here is real. Uh, it's all unreal, if you will. But there are times where I feel like production has an invisible hand where Everything, whether they set it up previously or before, will fall into place in a way that everything seems believable. And I'm like, okay, this all makes sense. These people did well. There really isn't a way that they could have edited it um, for them that I'm like, from what I saw. This is kind of an example of one of those episodes where no matter what the judges say, what you are wearing is going to always be objective to whoever is looking at it. And there is go. You can't. You no matter what a judge says, you can't make an outfit actually look better than it actually is or not. And you know, I want to to that point and to your point. I think I can kind of see what you're saying. We watched the three untucks in a row, and so we see in the first week, Heidi be like, "I'm safe, cool, yay, have a good day," and then we see in the second week, Heidi be like, "I'm safe, everything's good." And then we come to this one and she's like, I am going home. And I'm like, okay, that felt so inorganic that it maybe does support the idea that perhaps she was kept out of the top on what was maybe too many people, a more obvious top inclusion in an effort to get her reaction. Um and- you know, that... especially when Milk had such a breakdown to not being in the top that there's a dairy challenge. Somebody has a breakdown to not being in the top Listen, on All Stars. That's a lot of emotion for safe. Um, and it's not to say I don't love this queen and I don't enjoy it. Uh, joy her. And I don't know if this was the best episode for Candy Muse. And when Who needs subtitles at all times. Yes, and we love. But... Something you will see in many, many reality shows. Actually, mostly just Drag Race. Uh, because I'm thinking back to at least one season of Project Runway. Where there was a contestant who was safe every single week and then went home the one time he got critiques. Um, Drag Race really loves 
if they can giving somebody a top placement at some point they really try to if they can get them a top placement especially if they expect they're going to be around for a while production expects candy to be around for a while and the fact that she hasn't had a top placement in three episodes didn't sit right with them so they're going to force it and that's where i'm saying that this episode feels like it has a little bit of a heavy hand i don't think this specific episode was candy's best episode but when you place her in the top it feels a little bit weird and forced and not not to say it's going to be unfair no matter what but it's like oh you're showing your hand I should never it's be able really to drawing our attention to yes. the fact that it's just deep. I mean, I think on a similar note, Michelle's critique uh, to Jimbo, but she says it to other people too, that like, this is just stuff glued onto a corset, but you sold it. That's very much a, uh, we needed a way to give you a positive critique. And so here, you know, uh, somebody else would have just been told you just glued stuff to a corset period. It's, you know, this is the Olympics of drag. You can't bring that here. If that, I may, well, having just watched so much all stars in a row. Yeah. This is a thing that actually I noticed occurred in season two and three. At some point, Michelle just starts going, I would tell other people this is bad, but you're Alyssa Edwards. And like, there really is just a point where they're like, I would tell someone else this is bad, but it's exactly what you said about Rashida Jones and my reaction where I was like, I just think Rashida Jones is so luxe. I have a hard time believing her as like a sewer mole woman. <laughs> so like I, I watch this and I'm like, you know what? If Jimbo, Jimbo could go out in a diaper and a trash bag, you know what I mean? It would work. You're and a I, clown. You're hilarious. You're Nathan Lee And I know that the part of the idea is that it's not graded on a, you know, the, the rubric is specific to the queen. Rubric. Mm. Oh, uh, oh, she's going to steal that. I was going to say, gonna I, gonna gotta I gotta go. I gotta Damn. trademark that now. Consider that go, 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 go. I've done already so had mine. So, um, Rue, you just gotta call me. I am ready to help take uh, World of Wonder next level. I I have believed in you since next I was a little chef. kid watching you at dinner. And uh, I am ready to, to ride this and give you a Vassell massage. And I've and got more uh, rubric-esque puns, puns. than I got you can puns. shake a stick at. Um. I know that it is, you know, it's both subjective and that the, the critiques are for the queen. I particularly felt like to Jonah's point, the idea that she's just like, it's just a bodysuit, but you sold it. <laughs> that to me is not really a plausible, even spin on the critique. Um, and it does just sort of speak to the idea that when there are times where, certain people need to get certain critiques for everything to line up. If you really sit and think about it, and particularly like if the critique doesn't quite sit right with you and you look at what's being said, there are a lot of times where you can feel that exact, like, and it's usually coming from Michelle. Usually if you want to give it authenticity oh. and authority, you have Michelle say the absurd critique because Michelle's not nice. So if she's saying it, it must be true. She's um, talking to you from a bodyguard soundtrack place. Number nine. Exactly. <laughs> She's um, not talking to they you from a started on Howard Stern place. As much as you. Yeah. It's wild. 
Yes. No. Oh, me? Oh. Yes, they mention it as much as you do. That she's in the bodyguard soundtrack. That's surprising. <laughs> Number nine. <laughs> um. Yes, and uh, I I don't even want to say this season. Um, but there is a. It's also a design challenge, and it always happens in design challenges. Actually, it always happens in makeover challenges because the makeover challenge is a challenge that is so subjective that they will just yeah, say whatever real. they want. Yeah. The makeover challenge is specifically designed to let them eliminate who they want. Yeah. Um. I, I there is a there is a very contentious design challenge win that uh does not go over well with the fans or the queens there. <laughs> um, I, I can't I, I, I can't say more than that without spoiling too much. It's um, true. What season? What season? Fourteen. Okay. Okay. People people know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um I'm in. But all of that is to say I I I guess part of the it's stuff glued to a corset. These are people using um real material, like like like, like real foods. They they're not they're not using these were people who used stuff that wasn't fabric. And so Normally, that critique I'm normally on board with of, like, you did just kind of glue stuff to a corset. That's not specifically the case for this if they're trying to really think outside the box and use that unconventional material. Where I'm like, what, did you want them to put the lettuce through a sewing machine? I, what do you want them to do? Well, I mean, I guess my point is that if Michelle really wanted to... Th saying exactly that, normally I will not accept stuff glued to a corset but because part of this is working with materials and you found a way to do it um that would... i i would buy that positive praise but she really does say this is just stuff glued to a corset but you sold it the way you were eating the lettuce and to me that's not real that's not a good critique uh that's certainly not a worthy of the top two critique uh and no just it's that but, to me is when we start to get into the zone of like Michelle, you just zone. need to say something. Yes. However, Jimbo's fruity tooty look, the pop art dress, yeah. I will say Pete on stage. Yeah. Eight I and left no crumbs. Iconic. Personally, I, I it's you can see where it's like, okay. Okay. So as we wind this guy down, we've lost two queens. Uh, three queens. We've lost Ma Monica Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. We've lost Naisha Lopez. Naisha, sorry. Naisha Lopez. And we've lost the wonderful uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis. And I'm glad that the fame games have started because, you know, I have been in an indie band and I've played to the bartender and just my bandmates' girlfriends. And, oh my god, there was something so... I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm well, gonna do this. I think it was also Rue leaving money on the table with the fact that these girls had these looks. Thousand percent. And yeah. they wanted them seen and they were encouraged to be on social media and be showing it. And I don't know who on God's green earth finally said to Rue, Hey, 
Why aren't we doing something with this? Because it just feels like it was really obvious. And so I'm just so glad that they are doing something with it that elevates uh, what the girls already had put in so much work on. I wish they had done something like it uh, more for season 15 already. Uh, I think doing it with all stars first was probably a better idea because it's established girls, etc. Viewers, but so it's controllable. I think doing something like this in general going forward, uh, whatever it would be tangentially for the main series, would be great because, you know, they they have all this work they've done and mining more material and content for the main show itself is just the smart thing to do. And uh, to to answer something a little bit you talked about of who said this, put this in Rue's ear, this is a more recent conversation we've been having as fans and a fandom of people of saying, hey, as Drag Race gets more expensive, people have to spend a lot more money and the queens that don't get to, you know, are eliminated early, have all of these looks they bought, they prepare that they have to then, that's not being seen on the main stage. And I think as we become a little more vocal and become a little bit more understanding of people's situations of like, hey, it's a lot of money to to get to contact all these designers to buy all this fabric if they're making it. Um, you know, there's a handful of queens that always just make their own things that they wear where they don't Bianca you know. Del Brio picked this out for me and you guys are tearing it apart. She loaned me this top. I can't send her home. Listen. Listen, and this I'm is literally in her shirt. And I, I am of two mindsets when it comes to how the, talking about these eliminations. On one hand, feel how you feel. You're allowed to be upset for somebody picking your lipstick. Absolutely. On the other hand, if you didn't brush your teeth last week, I am sending you home. I will choose the dumbest reasons to send somebody home. I you I don't need a proper reason. That you don't have to go by track record. You know. You, you gave me a weird look the other day. I'm sending you... Like, the, I will choose the pettiest, dumbest reasons. This whole system is, is dumb. And it's a dumb it's decision all... <laughs> for me to have to make. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw darts. I'll throw darts. I'll do one of those little, like... Everyone knows what I'm talking about. The little... Not everyone. I, I guess kids these days don't know. But you know, like, this, this, uh, the pick fork, like, the colors, and then the numbers, yes, and the... go like that. I'm doing that. And then we're just... I'll ask your producer pick it do that. And that's the way to go. Name. I will pick everyone who will not sleep with me. Also, that I will not sleep with and no one. Oh, there <laughs> you go. This is Alexis Michelle choosing when she. Oh wins my the god, she's horny on Maine everywhere, everywhere, wow. everywhere. Wow. Good for oh them. Good for her. She's. I mean, she's. And like, I agree with Jessica. Good work if you can get it. I guess she's hot in and out of drag, like uh, Kiana. Am I saying Kahana. that right? Kahana. Kahana. Thank you. Kahana. Uh, she's new to me, and she's so beautiful and fabulous and stupid hot. And, uh, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of real gorgeousness this season uh, across the board. And I I root for James. I, I really root for James. I would love the top to be mm. Jimbo and anyone I'm a little bothered that there's not maybe, I mean, yes, there's still three um, queens who are black and there's uh, at least two queens who are Latino. Um, 
but th- there's a lot of whiteness, at least to these cast photos in particular. Um, uh, there are three Latin queens. Oh, terrific. I, who did James I is Mexican. Count? I believe. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a great point. Um, okay. I feel a little bit better then about saying I really want to see so many queens who do present a little more white in the finale. Just because, you know, it's it's so hard for queens of color in the first place. And so, you know, just making sure they get their flowers uh, everywhere is important to me. Um, can, but yeah, I would really like to see Jimbo win. Can I ask one question? Um, and that this could be, you know, our, la- our last point on the topic. Based mm-hmm. off these oh, nice three of you. Ep- Thank you. I know. Uh, based off of these three episodes, who do you think is going to win? As I'm saying, Jimbo. I want Jimbo to win. Do you think Jimbo is going to win or do you oh. want Jimbo to win? Um, I think based on narrative, James is going to win. Mm. There's like a, a strong James is coming out of nowhere and he's such a strong contender kind of vibe. Um, but I'd really like it to be Jimbo. But I mean. Uh, I, I do see it with James, although I think we have gone, uh, a little too long without a staggering, uh, I don't want to say win, but like, um, just like real notable James moment for me to think that that's the direction they're going. Uh, I do think Jimbo, Heidi and Candy strike me as the three from a production standpoint that are getting the most like they're the front runners they're like the ones to watch it will be interesting to see if Heidi just had that moment that is her lowest point before she just kills the competition or if what just if that was her Alaska moment basically I'll pay you $10,000 because I have to win after taxes yeah. Um, uh, I also just want to uh, 10,000% just go up to every queen and go, wake up all the time whenever they suddenly turn around in an episode. I don't want to so, see any more goddamn H&M on my stage. Is there something on my face? I, I, I think those are the three. And I see, like I said, because Jimbo comes from other things besides us drag race i see her as being a real demographic contender for the crown because it shows that the hall of fame is not just all girls that come from you know standard drag race seasons you they're starting to show like it can be a type and that means that like when other queens come from uk or thailand or holland uh they will be seen as plausible frontrunners Kevo, talk to me. How are you feeling about this cast? You know some of these queens. Some of them are new to you. Who do you feel is set up to be the win lady? My brain doesn't work like that. I don't really think that way because especially like I've been saying in All-Stars, it's too chaotic. Yeah. Who does Rue want to win? Or these girls. I don't know yet. Um, yeah, and that's a thing too. It depends on who continues to uh play nice, who continues to make enemies and perhaps make some drama and perhaps cause a few too many waves demanding to know uh why they aren't the winner. Everyone should look at the screen because I'm making a very specific point. Uh and so I think that is a huge factor in who ends up getting cut. And it's who 
the audience ends up wanting to root for who Rue wants you to root for. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's just going to be three women singing over each other, and it's just going to look like a mess, and I won't know who should win. So, any meeny money, probably Jimbo, because Jimbo is such a name. I don't know who I would say is the biggest and wowest name of the people remaining, to be honest. So Julie, My other big oh, pick sorry. would maybe be Darian. I love that pick. I love Darian. I love her in and out of drag. I think she's super cute. But I have nothing to back that up. Jonah, you asked the question in the first place. Who's your pick? So this is a very tough question. And when looking at winners, uh, there are so many things that go into it. Obviously, Rue handpicks her winner. She loves whoever wins. But it's also representative of the brand of RuPaul's Drag Race in general and you look at what does a queen do for the brand what do they bring so my prediction for the top four and this is completely spoiler please don't spoil anybody for anything if they don't want to know if, they'll, if they want to know they'll find it please don't spoil anybody for anything my personal prediction for the top four would be is going to be jimbo candy muse heidi in closet jessica wild hmm. yeah and i think they're going to pick between Jimbo and Jessica Wilde. Jimbo winning as an international contestant opens the floodgate for all of the international seasons to come join. Um, I won't spoil too much about everything, but that door was opened. <laughs> the door she's opened uh, <laughs> was started with in All-Star 7, which is the all-winner season, the first UK winner being a part of that. And there has been conversation of the international seasons not being able to participate in All-Stars. And Jimbo being here is already breaking the mold. But if Jimbo wins, I think that opens the floodgate for everyone to feel like, okay, you know, if I do really well on my season, I can make it to All-Stars. Well, And, and I, I think... Oops, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, we're we're like 20 minutes over time. So I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping us up, man. So last thoughts and then we're closing. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think it is going to make people pay more attention to other drag races, like Drag Race España, Drag Race Mexico, if there's a feeling like the best girls from those could show up on ours. So I think, yeah, Joan, I really agree with you. Uh, my last thought, if you're going to have an alliance, don't yell about it in the workroom. It's supposed to be secret. And until we come back to talk about more secret alliances, Jonah, where can everybody find you online? You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. Well, thank you so much, Lip Sync Assassin. We will have you on next time we talk more Drag Race. Bye, y'all. We have an unusual weekend next weekend. It's going to be a little different, but we're going to bring you guys some amazing content no matter what. And until we come back to bring you some of that amazing content, uh, Kevo, where can everybody find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me over on the socials over at uh, Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Uh, TK, where can everyone find you? You can find me at XNateXGrayX. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. We've got some really amazing content coming your way. We like out of nowhere pitched a Disney afternoon episode to talk about gargoyles and Darkwing Duck comics. And now uh, there's an amazing uh, Eisner nomination for Tori Amos's new comic. And that's uh, really great. 
Uh, we've got Fast 10, Little Mermaid, Transformers, uh, Spider-Verse, Strange New Worlds, and more Star Trek, uh, Secret Invasion, and more Marvel Universe coming your way. Lots of brilliant content, and I can't wait to bring it to you guys all summer and, you know, forever, but summer first long. So uh, until we come back to well, talk I gotta about... do it. Can't not. Can't oh. not pimp you. Yeah, uh, my work was in the Amazing Young Men in Love collection, edited by Joe Glass and Matt Miner. What a terrific product. Um, so lucky to be a part of this. So grateful to Wave Blue World for all their hard work. Uh, incredible to win a GLAD award. Incredible to win a gaming award. And uh, so grateful to be part of this. And uh, until we come back, you can check out more of our amazing material here on Exus for Shows YouTube. So don't forget to check out that awesome library. Like, subscribe, and more. And until we come back, keep your lights lit, your gateways open. I'm going to come up with a better sign-off, and we'll see ya.